This is the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast with your hosts, Chris Spear and Andrew Wilkinson. Each week, we'll be speaking with food entrepreneurs and people in the culinary industry. If you're interested in learning more about our organization dedicated to helping people build and grow their food businesses, look us up on the web at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org and on Facebook and Instagram at Chefs Without Restaurants. Now, enjoy the show. Happy Monday, everyone. This is Chris, and you're listening to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving and had some fantastic family time. I'm really excited because today you're going to be listening to the first episode with a guest. Today, we're going to have on the show Thomas O'Hara. Tom is a breakfast chef at the Hillbrook Inn and Spa in Charlestown, West Virginia. Tom likes to say he's an egg chef, and he's going to get into that a little bit on the show. We also dive into topics such as working for free and food festivals. When we sat down, we weren't planning on getting into it, but we kind of just went there. So I think it's an interesting topic, one we've been talking a lot about uh, in our group in uh, member chats, and I think it's going to be a recurring topic in the coming weeks, months, and year. I hope you enjoy our show. As always, uh, we'd love your feedback. And please, if you're enjoying the show, consider reviewing it, uh, subscribing, and sharing it with your friends. Have an excellent week. Welcome back. This is the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Chris. I'm Andrew, and we have a special guest with us today. What's your name? My name is is Tom, Thomas O'Hara. I'm happy to be here. Super exciting stuff. Yeah, I'm looking forward to diving into deep, deep waters. Frederick Maryland. <laughs> All right. So this is our official, I guess, official second episode of the podcast, our first episode with a guest. And um, today we are recording in Chef Chris's garage. Mm. Yeah, it's a nice, uh, a nice day here in the garage. So it's pretty cool. We got some beer. I can't always guarantee that we're going to have spacious facilities, but you know, housekeepers here today, so we're holed up in the garage with some beers. But worst places <laughs> to be. Hell yeah! All right, so we're going to get right into it. We got Thomas with us here today. Thomas is the breakfast chef at the Hillbrook Inn in Charlestown, Charlestown, West Virginia. Yeah, do you want to tell us a little bit more about you and and your current occupation? Sure. Uh, well, I've been there for about seven months now. Basically, uh, there's a big inn um, just outside of the big or the. You could, yeah, it's not a big city. The city, the downtown area, it's just outside of it. Um, it's a very big property. It's beautiful. Um, and yeah, we offer uh, two course breakfasts for every guest, uh, sweet and a savory. And it's um, pretty much whatever I feel like doing, which is the most freedom I've ever had in the culinary scene. Um, people are, they put their dietary restrictions down. And if they can't do gluten, we don't give them gluten, but it's always good. It's always beautiful. Uh, it's a very luxury place. Uh, big wedding events and do a lot of farm to table dinners in the uh, Northern Virginia, DC area. little plug here. It's called the taste of blue Ridge. Uh, the big event coming up this weekend, actually. And um, not sure of uh, November 30th. I will not be there. The executive chef, executive chef, Steve Farrell will be there. Yeah. Look him up. Follow him on Instagram. All right. So this is like my, one of my favorite things that I'm going to get to ask people. And it's a super broad question. You can take it however you want. Literally figuratively, 
spiritually, emotionally. Uh, what about what are you currently cooking at home, on the job, in your life? What's up, 2020? Currently, currently I'm big into uh, um, eggs uh, because of uh, the breakfast thing that I got going on now. Uh, how many ways are there to cook an egg? I think the answer is endless, pretty much. Uh, you know, do you, do you supplement dairy? Do you leave it dairy-free? What do you do? Um, so I like looking up different ways and different shapes, sizes, colors to make them. Um, really trying to figure out a good green eggs in a ham dish that doesn't look you know, artificially industrialized. <laughs> Disgusting cream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you have you seen the ideas in food uh, frying your eggs in heavy cream method yet? Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, they just uh, it's one of these uh, things that they did that kind of went viral. I think they put it on uh, Food Fifty Two. But look it up. It's uh, ideas in food fried eggs in heavy cream. I will, oh, yeah. also, uh, quick uh, quick side note to that is frying them in maple syrup. Have you ever had that? Um, Martin Picard of OPA de Cochon in Montreal has a whole cookbook called The Sugar Shack. Uh, and that was one of the first things I saw. You just take, you know, maple syrup and bring it to a simmer and then crack some eggs into it in a pan. I will be doing that uh, Wednesday morning. That's delicious. And then I like to put some extra sharp cheddar cheese on there and like maybe some sriracha or uh, other hot Sweet sauce. Savory, baby. I love yeah. It. That so try awesome. so try cooking, frying some eggs up in heavy cream or maple syrup. Oh, man. Or maybe yeah, a combo awesome. of the two. That might be really interesting, right? Oh, yeah. Just a fact check on, on Thomas. He's not bullshitting. Uh, he actually helps me with pizza lemon sometimes, and he brought me some cured egg yolks that have an essence of lemon, and it's the most fire thing you can ever put on a pizza. So what did you do? Did you put yes, like uh, like a lemon zest in there when you were curing them? Yeah, yeah. So just in, the, simple, in the salt sugar? Yeah, the salt sugar, 50-50, with uh, just lemon zest and some black pepper. I did that for about six days. I rinsed it off until they were like super hard and grateable on the microplane, and yeah. Now, do you do de- dehydration? Because a lot of people put them in dehydrator mm-hmm. after that. No, we don't have a commercial dehydrator there. But uh, so just an extra long cure then. Yeah, I would, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they are using them. They're kind of gummy. I, yeah. I think you could do like I think the uh, standard is kind of like maybe three days in the cure and then rinse mm-hmm. them and dehydrate them. Mm-hmm. But you know. Yeah. So I just left them in there for about six days, like I said, and uh, yeah, it worked. It's just uh, it's like a like a dairy free cheese. I get a lot of no dairy, no gluten. Um, just because that's, you know, a thing of, right now. It's a thing right now, and it probably <laughs> always will be, uh, whether or not they're intolerant or not. But uh, yeah, it's a nice dairy-free cheese. But yeah, I'm all about eggs right now. Tell us about your introduction to food, as far as like, you know, when when did you fall for food, and then like, what was your first job experience? I was going to go into the job experience first, but I'm glad you said the fall for food. So, first time I really fell for food, I think was um. It was a late night at my parents' house um, where I found myself indulging in the, the lovely flowers that Mother Earth gives to us. And uh, I was kind of just putting random foods together, and I ended up with a bowl of mixed tropical fruit from Danon, a papaya-flavored yogurt, which I don't remember where that came from. And I was just putting brown sugar on it, and it just – the textures from the little brown sugar – it just – that was like – eye-opening to me because I was a very picker very picky eater for most of my life I don't think I had a salad until like the end of middle school just all Mickey D's and that sweet my my sweet palate was acclimated nothing else was really I love some of that uh hot mustard that goes with the McNuggets like to this day that's still still one of my favorite condiments ever but yeah the first time I started cooking I moved out um to the eastern shore I think in 2012 Follow my then girlfriend, now lovely wife, out to the University of Salisbury. Um, 
And uh, I started cooking at the Hyatt Regency Hotel in Cambridge, Maryland, um, which is like a easy little prep cook, very close to minimum wage, um, just scooping crab cakes and cutting vegetables for big banquets and stuff. And uh, I got good at that. Kind of moved me to like the poolside bar area, just assembling already pre-cooked burgers and putting hot dogs on buns. Uh, that's what kind of where I learned my uh, sense of urgency for cooking. And yeah, I got good at that. And then uh, the chef de cuisine told me I was going to work at Water's Edge Grill one day, which is like their their fine dining experience, uh, just lunch to start. But then I started to learn how to like, cook fish and cook meats to temp, um, creating sauces from nothing, not just opening a package and just kind of heating it up sort of thing. Yeah, so I started cooking probably the first two years, two or three years was that on the Eastern Shore. So it was very fish heavy, very local you know, crustaceans and oysters and all that jazz. Um, yeah. And then I moved back to Frederick, uh, to get married in 2014. Sorry if I got the date wrong on that one, but I think it was about 2014 or 2015. I think 2015. Wait, do you not, not know when you got married? I know the date, not hundred percent of the year. At this point. <laughs> Time has been absolutely flying. Don't by. share this podcast with your wife. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure she'll forgive me. Uh, yeah, I started uh, working for Aisha Meze in downtown Frederick. And then it just kind of bounced around from there. All right. So for this intro, the last question I, I have for you is, um, do you have like what restaurant dreams or uh, certain aspirations in the culinary world that you have been, you know, brewing in that pot? <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> uh, I definitely love the idea of it. Um, I think Chris mentioned on one of the podcasts you released, it's like there's a, there's a point where everybody kind of is, man, I want to get out there on my own and do this until they see the bill for it. And uh, there's lots of things you don't really think about that cost money, like to keep the lights on. Uh, every drop of water comes out of someone's pocket, and uh, that's not often really thought about. That's probably the biggest reason why restaurants fail. People can, just because you're an amazing chef or you have these great ideas or you can cook for family really good doesn't mean you should get into the restaurant business. Uh, you definitely need a lot of financial backing, which I have not found yet. Um, and stop buying dumb shit. Like, seriously. Yeah. I mean, I have this conversation all the time. We're living in a world where there are $100 aprons, not calling anyone out, but I think everyone knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, and you've got, like, a bunch of cooks in them, and you're buying all these plates from well-known plate manufacturers that are, like, $25 a plate. Yeah. It's nice, but I think you can find stuff that's more reasonable, that holds up well. <laughs> and I just think people start – you start hemorrhaging money from day one. You're buying – crazy stuff that you don't need to because you're trying to put on airs from the start and uh you're already way in the hole before you've even come out of the gate yeah that's a super good point but um yeah i love what you're doing with the food truck my man uh, i love being a part of it when i can be so i think down the line yeah um some sort of mobile mobile thing would be ideal where i can kind of create my own schedule and i'm super blessed where i work now where i'm just pretty much i was telling chris before we started and pretty much my day is over at about 12 30 1 o'clock so I'm freed up to do family time, which is hugely forgotten in the restaurant business. It's like kind of you're expected to just grind it out for 12 plus hours. And I guess that's kind of fading out slowly. But there's still people that will do it, which is why everybody expects everybody to do it. Um, I'm hoping that the, that the that image of the restaurant changes soon, right? Like I was just yeah. in a Facebook group or something the other day where someone said like, oh, well, this person wouldn't last a week in a restaurant where they're fighting and, you know, chefs are throwing knives at you and you're getting cursed. I'm like, it's 2019. Yeah. Like, I really hope that that's not still going on. I'm sure it is in some parts, but like a really good restaurant, like that's 
hopefully not happening. Yeah, anymore. and this industry is definitely like the last romanticized sort of like overworked thing is like going to make you better. Or it gives you a sense of worth, but then at the end of the day, you just find yourself trying to de-stress, and then you just develop these patterns of. Yeah. Unhealthy it's it's, it's like parenting, you know, yeah. it's kind of the whole, like my dad used to hit me, so I'm going to hit my kids. Like, you no, that's not accepted. Like, like yeah. we've realized that parenting today should not be the way maybe our parents or our grandparents mm-hmm. parented, but with work, we're still very much in that. Like, well, I came up in a restaurant where my boss used to berate me and throw things at me and, and curse at me. Like, okay, well, that's probably not a good way to live. Right. Like, definitely can not. we change that? Definitely not sustainable. Like I think, I, whenever I think of that, I've, um, I've definitely been there. Never thrown at me, but like, you know, you've definitely been. I threw a sandwich once <laughs> and I kicked a trash can once. And there's like two people in my life who still remember or remind me of the time that I threw a sandwich. Um, and the time I, I kicked a trash can and it fell over and um, a bunch of bottles fell on the floor and broke. Not, I mean, like not my, not situation. my biggest, but it wasn't directed at an employee. I didn't throw a sandwich at an employee and I didn't kick a trash can at an employee. That's right, so. you definitely I was also like 22 years old and <laughs> 25 years old. Yeah, but those things kind of, um, they definitely make you stronger. But you just have to know when to get out of it. You have to know when enough's enough, and you just have to know it's not sustainable. So here we have another chef without a restaurant, with no plans to be in a restaurant. And I will, I will say, I will say, technically, the Hillbrook Inn has <laughs> a restaurant. It's called the Red Book Restaurant. Boo, so, get out. Get out. <laughs> yeah, I know. I almost thought about not saying it, but it, I guess technically it is a restaurant inside of the bed and breakfast. I mean, um, is that where you work? Yeah, I work in the Red Book restaurant at right, right. the Hillbrook Inn. Well, that's okay. You can okay. You can still finish out the rest of the podcast. Okay. <laughs> Just kidding. We're not like that. My car is my car. No, but but you, you know, a big thing of this is I also want to talk to people who are kind of like side hustling and doing mm-hmm. their own thing because I think there's a lot of people who are working in restaurants, but they're – doing a lot of interesting things on the side They're, you know, maybe working for catering companies or food trucks. I know you've helped Andrew um, with his businesses before. Uh, you know, the, it's for me, it's more like the independent chef uh, spirit, mm-hmm. I think, you know. And we're getting ready to dive into the deep end in our next section. Um, and so today's discussion, what we're going to talk about, since we're all local here to Frederick, Maryland, we're going to talk about the local restaurant scene. The Yay! scene that inspired Chefs Without Restaurants in the first place. The scene that inspired, well, it didn't really inspire Pizza Llama, but. But you're part of it. Kind of did. Kinda. A little bit, maybe, you know? Yeah. You're sure. the anti restaurant scene here. Yeah, anti. I'm anti a lot of things, but that's a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, um, Chris, I want you to kick this off because Chefs Without Restaurants was really started on the backs of of the restaurant scene in Frederick and how it's not super collaborative and it's kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I grew up outside of Boston, amazing scene, uh, worked in Minneapolis, Seattle, uh, and outside of Philadelphia and all the major cities, you see these great scenes and, and, you know, maybe as a little bit of an outsider, I didn't always participate in those scenes, but just kind of seeing the way chefs would come together, do things together. I think you see that in DC, you know, a lot of, especially, you know, there's a charity event and you've got like 20 chefs and they all come together, but it seems like they're having a good time where they do pop-ups and takeovers together. And Frederick had so many restaurants when I moved here and I just thought, wow, this would be a cool place. Like maybe a bunch of chefs want to hang out, do an industry night, get together, do some things. Yeah, no. Um, 
And I don't even know who the chefs are. You know, one of the things that's really interesting to me is that it's uh, an owner driven community. You know, you've got Fountain Rock Restaurant Group and they have, I don't know, like six restaurants or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then you got a couple of other people who have, you know, two, three, four or, just or so. One that's been around. Or, or, one that, or one that's been around for a long time. You know, I think Tasting Room, you know, uh, well, I actually, actually guess they're with Black Hog. Right? Well, it was. It was Tasting Room. I think Tasting Room existed before Black Hole. And yeah. Before that, he had another restaurant called Tarazzo. Yes. As well as like a pizza spot. He's been, he's like a mainstay in Frederick. Tasting Room has been around for a long time, and Mike has always had at least a restaurant in, in Frederick. So, like, okay, putting you guys on the spot, who's the executive chef of the Tasting Room? Couldn't tell. I. Uh, <laughs> uh, I know, I know, he, actually, I know he might be one of the only chefs in downtown Frederick that is actually like. Mike's not trying to hide him. I know that much. No, but I mean, I don't. About him right but I don't feel like they're. I'm not saying that anyone's trying to hide anyone. Too. Yeah, but like, it's a good point about hiding people. Who, who's who's the chef at Isabella's? Uh, who's uh, Mario. 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 Okay. Sorry, I don't know your last name, Mario. But you know, and I get. I guess to the point is like when you go to DC or any big city, like I'm going for the chef, right? Like I want to go to Reverie because Johnny Sparrow's the the chef there. Or, you know, I want to go to Chaiko because Scott Druno and Danny are awesome. And you just see that in big cities. And in Frederick, I have no idea who the chefs are. Like if you even want to network with them, I can't find them on LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram or anything. Um, and I don't know if that's intentional or not. I mean, obviously you have Volt, Brian Voltaggio, really well known. I think he's had a lot of great chefs work for him, like Graham and... Scott and everyone. But, you know, other than that, I don't think there's a lot of chefs that people know by name. I mean, being a chef, I, I know Christian over at Hooch and Banter, yeah. but but I don't even know that the general public would know that he's the chef there. Doesn't the Firestones have a picture of their chef like, on the window? I, I, I actually think they do. Props to Firestones for putting yeah, their chef out on the window. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I just don't know who he is. I think that um, I think that Frederick made a step in the right direction at one point. I think maybe it was Frederick Magazine or something, and they did like an expose on a bunch of the downtown chefs. They didn't. I know um, Brandon from um, Serenity Tea Room, I think, was mm-hmm. maybe like the, the cover story. There was an issue where they were all like throwing flour and stuff in the air or something like that. But, you know, I think, you know, he um, Serenity Tea Room, they've kind of had to blaze their own path for them. They were on um, Guy's Grocery Games and a bunch of shows on the Food Network. Uh, so props to them. I did hear they're shutting down. I remember my first experience of that building was uh, it used to be a labor ready. Uh, yes, before that, totally. I never went there, but shouts to my brother. He was going through it and he had to go there and he was just like, I don't love this. So I heard that that was a, like a fine dining restaurant now. I was like, what a 180 there. Well, the, I didn't know they were shutting down. That sucks. And the thing that jumped out at me, uh, and we talked about this, I think, in another podcast, was uh, I was on the committee for the Frederick Wine Festival. And we really wanted to make it like a wine and food festival where we were going to have all these wineries come and pair chefs with them. And I was super excited. Uh, it was my opportunity to go door to door and talk to every chef and restaurant owner in town mm-hmm. and kind of pitch them on this idea of, yeah, we're going to have this wine festival and you're going to come out to the creek and you're going to have a signature dish and pair it with a winery. Zero restaurants wanted to do it. Literally, like, zero restaurants wanted to do it. And I wonder if that would be like the owners making that call or just like the, the managers in the, in that, who you were speaking to already know that the owners are not going to. Most of what I know is that was the case because I would go into a place and I would talk to the chef and he'd be super jazzed. And then uh, an email would come like, well, I flew it by the GM and they're not into it. And in hindsight, I get it now. And we're going to dive into this whole like uh, festival restaurant thing um, in the future. I, I don't know that it's actually worth it for restaurants to do them. 
But what came out of that is we needed some vendors and the people who kind of came and rescued me were these independent chefs. Uh, we had some food trucks. We had um, Shelly from Rebel's Kitchen come and do some baked goods. You know, she's doing cottage bakery out of her house. Uh, Serenity Tea Room actually came for, I believe, three years. Nico at Roast House came. You know, we say Nico is kind of – Nico is one of the um, – chefs with a restaurant, but I feel that he kind of embraces that independent restaurant spirit. And I just kind of thought, wow, okay, so the restaurants and the chefs here are not going to be my scene, my click, um, but there's a lot it's of cool, but there's like a very large group of chefs kind of doing their own thing. And maybe that's kind of my crowd. And that's kind of how I started. Now, you know, the restaurants are great. Love them. Love going out there. I think we have a really good um, dining scene. I just don't think we have a very interesting collaborative chef scene. So making the distinction there. And that's kind of how I started the Chefs Without Restaurants thing. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Um, I didn't work for Fountain Rock for, uh, for too, too long. But the things you said, I definitely saw um, a lot of inclusiveness, a lot of unwillingness to do anything different, a lot of uh, stick to the stick to what sells and that's about it. Um, and not that that's a bad thing. It's just, you know, it's going to stay the way it is because of that mindset. It's not going to change. You're not going to see a lot of innovation um, across the board unless, you know, the people that are in there doing it every day take the initiative to change certain things. And it's, and it's hard. I mean, when you have a restaurant, you – already have razor thin margins, right? So right, you have to right. put things on the menu that are going to sell. I get that a hundred percent. Like you can't just say, oh, I'm going to get snakehead. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's like $15 a pound and I don't even know if people are going to eat it and I'm going to bring it in and it's super perishable and will be no good in a day. Let's just bring it in and sell it. So, you know, you do get kind of in this cycle of like, we have to put stuff on the menu that sells. So I get that a hundred percent. Snakehead is $15 a pound. It, so it can be it's one of those it's weird fresh, things yeah. that is like super invasive, right? And they want to get rid of it. So one week it would be like $6 a pound because a ton came in and they wanted to move it. Yeah. And then the next week there wouldn't be a lot and because I, I bought it before. And then it would be like $15 a pound. It's like, why am I paying $15 a pound for the super invasive fish you want to get rid of? You should it, give it to me for free. When you bought it, was, did it come in as an entire whole frozen fish? No, it came in as a fresh side, like a half. And if you've oh, ever, okay. and if you've ever had that stuff, it's got like skin, like an alligator on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I should have saved that. That's some cool. Like, okay, I think it was like fifteen pounds. And it was like three entire frozen fish. And they looked like it got frozen, like mid swim. Like the tail was <laughs> looked like it was going to start swimming. Um, yeah, very tough skin, but it's good. I would eat that. That's probably. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's one of my top favorite. Wow. It's got that meaty texture. I like it a lot. I feel that way about the the local blue catfish. And that's the same thing where like it used to be hella cheap. Pro fish had it like $3 a pound. And now it's like local and sustainable and delicious. It's like, oh, we can get like $10 a pound for this. That's how we got there with Ofal too. used to be able to get organ meat super cheap. And now it's uh, very kind of like getting up there, like filet mignon. Let's talk about food festivals. Yeah. Wow, you're jumping right into it. Yeah, I couldn't think of anything. I couldn't think of anything. He's like deep end. Thomas and I were talking about this uh, before you got here. Food festivals. Yeah, no, I just couldn't think of anything to like add or. We're going to get hella deep right here on this one. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I guess I'll I'll jump into this at least. I I think, you know, one of the. Oh, Breakfast Festival, you're putting putting out there. 
I think one of the things, you know, that we want to talk about is this whole idea of working for free, right? And anyone who's listening to us or, I mean, maybe you don't know us. I mean, we do, we do, I'm a big Gary Vaynerchuk fan. I know Andrew is, you know, he talks a lot about working for free, you know, D-Rock followed him around and filmed him for free. I think that's a little different than, you know, what we're seeing now is the expectation that chefs should work for free for air quotes exposure, right? That like... Uh, there's going to be some kind of festival and you're going to show up and you're going to make 800 plates of food and you're not going to get paid for it. You're not even going to get anything. Uh, but everyone there is going to see you and it's your chance to put your best foot forward. Um, before I go anymore, what do you, what, what's your take on that? And have you ever worked as part of a food festival? I have not. Um, no, but I could see how that would be pretty annoying. Um, <laughs> if I was just expected to just do all this work um, for, the potential to do something in the future. Um, I would limit, I think the effort that I would give in the moment um, and also days leading up to it. But I guess like we were saying earlier, it's like there are people that are willing to do that and it's, you know, it sucks because it just kind of, it makes people on the outside expect everyone to have that same mentality. And I think that's another reason why people are just overly underpaid in this business because there's there are people that will do it for free or for cheaper just because at the you know expense of their well one and not to call out any festivals right now but having been on the planning end i do know the way that it works is we're going to plan a festival we're going to pick a date and we're going to say that there's this we're going to say that there's like 10 restaurants there and you're going to come and you're going to get the food i know for a fact that you are sometimes like a week from the event and you have two vendors lined up. But you've sold all these tickets for a lot of money. It sounds like Firefest to me. That's what Food Festival is. <laughs> and if you're listening, I really hope you are. Laura Hayes at the D.C. City Papers wrote about this a number of times. Um, in fact, she called out the Frederick Breakfast Festival a month before it happened to kind of alert people that it could be a potential shit show. And I wish more people read that article. It was a shit show. And if, so if you don't know, I mean, basically what happened is this person had this idea for a breakfast festival and they had it at the Frederick Fairgrounds. And I think they charged like $15 a person, but $60 for VIP or something. And the way it presented was there were going to be all these vendors and all this food. Uh, go online and, and Google Frederick uh, Breakfast Festival. I think there was like one food truck there and people showed up like 20 minutes after it started and there was zero food and nobody was giving them money back. Um, and it was just like, it's a scam, but what's really sad is the people organizing this event had done this before. They were the Mac and cheese festival that was originally in Virginia. And then like two days before or a week before they canceled it cause they couldn't get permitting. And then they moved it to Frederick and said all the same vendors would be there. Now on the back end, the woman was DMing me as the founder of chefs without restaurants, trying to get me to provide chefs and telling me that she needed a chef. So she's told the public come to this event. All the chefs that were going to be in Virginia are going to be at this festival. But then she's telling me I have no chefs. Who do you know? And thankfully I didn't get involved and we didn't get any chefs. And then I think that event got canceled before it even went off. But then she changed her name, like her Facebook name literally changed. They changed the name of their company and let someone else do the marketing. So, it, you know, it reminds me of like the monorail episode of the Simpsons or something <laughs> yeah. like that. What's that called? So, you know, that makes me very skeptical just about going to festivals, but also being involved. And so, and I was actually approached about uh, helping find chefs for the breakfast festival. So, you know, as I think about this as the, the founder of this organization being, you know, I have to do a lot of due diligence as far as like who's planning these events. And it's really hard, especially if they're going out of their way to change their names. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's super shady. And it's almost like people just want to, like, like, whoever that woman is, it's like she just wants, she really is, like, Michelle Hale putting you on blast. Yeah, you're on blast right now. You're trying to do shit that you have no business doing. Like, do your research, do your homework, and actually put some fucking work in. And shit might go your way. I mean, I don't know if you're just trying to scam people or you just think, like, saying you're going to do something is enough. No, you have to actually work at it. That's all I'm going to say about that. And, you know, uh, well, a, a sidebar to that is that also sometimes just people planning these things, they're not um, being sneaky or shady. They just don't have the experience. I think a lot of people think that anyone can put on a festival and maybe they have uh, marketing prowess or they have a network good enough and that they'd be able to get both the chefs to do it and the customers. Um, but, you know, one of the things I see is a lot of chefs, especially if you're asking to do it for free or on the cheap, then they don't put their best foot forward. So now they're already going into this event kind of grudgingly, like, oh, I got to provide 200 portions of food for free. So then they show up, they don't represent themselves because they are bringing like cheap products, like they're going to Costco and buying some mini quiche and reheating them. And then the customers come, they don't get their money's worth because they're getting subpar food from the chefs. And it just doesn't work in the long run for anyone. Yeah, and I'm I'm really skeptical of the amount of like exposure and quotes that you actually get from those events. I mean, I would argue that most people coming to those are just wanting free food anyway. They're not going to remember who you are tomorrow. I mean, exactly. they're not going to say, "Oh, I had the most delicious yeah. pizza from Pizza Llama." Oh, that's a really good pizza. Who was if that? I think my branding, my branding is going to be more of an impact than the pizza. Probably, honestly, like in a situation like that, you know what I'm saying? Maybe the pizza would leave an impact on some people because it's good, um, but I think that like. People are going to be like, oh, I had an awesome pizza yesterday. Can't remember who it was from. That's why I say your branding might leave a better impact on that. But real quick, before we move on to any other subjects, I just want to shout out the Frederick Food Truck Festival. And something that you said about being experienced, um, I think some of them might have had a little experience. But it, to me, it's not even necessarily all about like having experience doing this specific thing of like a food truck festival or, or whatever. But how much, how, do you, how much work are you going to put in? Like, how far are you going to go to ensure that it goes as smoothly as possible? Like, and in that example of the Frederick food truck festival, like it's three young people who haven't ever thrown a food truck, uh, a food festival before. I think maybe one or two of them had experience in a festival, but yeah, and I think the most controversial thing I saw was that a bunch of tents started flying yeah. around. And, and at some point, like, that's just, you know, act of God, right? Yeah, yeah there was a huge gust of wind. Tents were flying around. Um, the rental company, I guess, didn't provide tent weights or something like that, you know? I wouldn't even say, obviously, like, all blame goes to the to the organizers of the event, and they understand that. And um, But, I don't, I, you know, I don't think they're fully at fault. And the cool thing about it is, like I said before, how far are you willing to go to make sure that it goes how you want it to? They had a meeting um, and invited everybody who did a good and bad review or anybody who wanted to come at all to come and just share their experience and how they can make it better Hmm. because they're going to do it again. And I think they're going to kill it. That's that's really good to know. I mean, the same with the Frederick Wine Festival. You know, we read every single review and that really drove each and every move for the next year. You know, after year one, we had some challenges and you look at them and people talk about, you know, flow of people or number of vendors or or whatever. And we really took that to heart and kind of tried to change direction a little bit the next year. And then you refine it. And, you know, unfortunately, some people are always going to be unhappy, right? Like we've all seen Yelp reviews and whatever reviews, like that's just how it's going to be. And I think you have to look at it with a critical eye and say, yeah, you know what? They're, they're kind of right. This was a problem. And then some, you say, man, I don't know that that's so, but we're still listening. Is there a date for that yet? Plans in the works for the Frederick Um, Food Truck Festival? Don't quote me on this, but I think it's June 13th. 
Um, and would love to have those guys on here. I think that would be a good time too. Yes. Even though they're not chefs without restaurants or even in the food industry, they're providing a service uh, within the local food industry, sort of for ancillary for, services. Is that the word? It's sort of an ancillary <laughs> thing. Even though it's a one-time, you know, business thing, um, they're they're creating exposure for food trucks in the region because I know they're trying to. There's only a very handful of food trucks in Frederick, so they're bringing some from other local counties and stuff. So they're just providing exposure for the food trucks in the region and connecting potential customers with food trucks. Anything you want to add, Thomas? It seems like that they seem to handle it the way you should handle it. Uh, Just getting all feedback, good and bad, and planning it again, not saying, oh, that sucks. You're not getting your money back. We're never going to do it again. Have you ever been to a food festival as an attendee? I don't think so. If I have, I forgot it and it was not memorable. So no. Yeah. Maybe that's a, I need to start getting out there. I've gone to a few of them, but uh, not a lot. I'd rather go to the ones where it costs a little more. I mean, that's the kind of thing, you know, once again, you go into DC and you might drop like 80 bucks or a hundred bucks to go to one of those things, but they're really well run and the food is top notch. I'd rather drop a hundred bucks and go to a really awesome one than go spend $30 and just complain about <laughs> mile long lines and subpar food, you know? Yeah. Yeah. If anyone has opinions on this, uh, let us know. And, you know, we might even be working it into uh, upcoming episodes. It's kind of our hot take. Yeah, definitely. That kind of reminded me of something similar. The whole idea of giving away food for free at a festival or something like that for exposure. Um, I do a food truck and in this industry... In a lot of places, I mean, it's kind of expected. You go to a festival or you go to an event, like a lot of times you have vendor fees. But um, Mm -hmm. locally, from what I've dealt with and talked to other food truck owners, there's like, at times, it's like extremely high vendor fees that seem pretty unfair. I mean, for some some local businesses, um, mobile and food truck businesses that I know of, they have the potential to, to make a lot of money. Um, and maybe that's more affordable. I know with me, I'm doing kind of like a more of like an artisan approach to pizzas and stuff. And, and with my setup, I'm kind of confined and, you know, it's hard for me to max over like 150, 200 pizzas at an event. I mean, it's, it's, it can be done, but what's hard, what I see a lot of is like, they want customers to have a good, good experience. So that means short lines. Mm-hmm. So that means bringing in a ton of vendors, right? Yeah. So we don't want just pizza llama there. Cause you're not going to be able to make pizzas for everyone. And I've earned going to make pizzas or have pizzas. So then they bring 10 vendors in and then you're like, Oh, I didn't make any money today. Cause there's too yeah, many vendors. And the thing is you don't like some of the food vendors won't make any money, but then the then organizers the- of the event who you paid are literally profiting like if you get 10 vendors out and they're all paying 250, they make more money more than, than anybody. Than, like they make more money than I make in a day. You know what I mean? Like definitely. If I have 200 dough balls, like granted I could probably do more than that at times, but with my setup last year, it was kind of hard to. And so. I'm super interested in seeing what other people are charging you. So, uh, chefs without restaurants at gmail.com or hit me up on social media. If someone is hitting you up for free food, uh, to come to an event for an exposure, I would love to see that, you know, um, or, or trying to charge you, uh, an admission fee to get into an event that yeah. seems high to you. I want to know what seems high to some people and maybe. I'm right or wrong. We're just trying to collect the data on this. And I do think um, you can kind of push for change. You know, I've had this conversation on our Facebook group and some people say, leave it. Those who don't want to do 
won't do it. But I do think there is some value to going back to an organizer and say, hey, I've talked to like a dozen people and they all feel like they shouldn't be working for free. Like, could we maybe talk about, you know, if not this year in the future, paying your chefs for their food, which has a high cost? Yeah, because like we were saying earlier, that if no one been like that business does it, they end up turning to the Red Robins and the Dominoes and the, you know, and then that kind of takes away from that unique experience that you're promising these people to go to a food festival or just any sort of event. If you have to scurry to get a hundred Domino's pizzas, like, yeah, Domino's is going to give you all the pizzas you want, you know, and does, do they have to pay? And they've, the and they've, and they've the got, got that Domino's money. Cause that's, you know, all these people, all these people, all these people say they want to support local businesses and small businesses. But then when you have an event that you're asking for 800 portions of free food and not only the food cost, but the fact that you have to hire, tons of staff to go to the event, set up, break down. You're going to have to prep for days. Like that is cost prohibitive. So you're now putting it up to large restaurant groups and businesses that have the money and the small companies aren't able to do that. And, you know, if if you just want big companies to come in and have, you know, these corporate chains to bring all your food, that's cool. But don't front and send out like a message to all your chefs saying, we want you to be a part of this. And you have the opportunity, air quotes, to get your food in front of a bunch of people. Andrew has the opportunity to get his pizza in front of people every night that his truck is out there. Mm-hmm. For free. Yeah, hopefully. Mostly for free. And I'm actually next year really considering to um, – I think there's very few events that I have to pay for that I'm even going to try to do, you know. Because why should I – I'm offering a service to people. I'm offering a convenience to people. Like, They need us, not the other way around. The same yeah, with these festivals. Uh, once again, like there's been festivals that like two weeks out, they had zero vendors or they needed like eight, right? And they've already sold tickets saying that's going to be there. At that point, remember this, chefs. They need you, not the other way around. Right. They can't have this event. They've sold tickets saying food vendors will be there. They're the ones – who are in trouble. You shouldn't have to pay for the opportunity to then go. I would go back to them and say, no, you need me. Without yeah, me, would, there's no event. I would say even even not last minute, any event. Any, any event, event that sure. They need, food, like they need you more than you need them. If you're a brewery or a winery or something, you should have food options there. It's the responsible thing to do. You need a food truck there. Right. Well, luckily, a lot of breweries and wineries won't charge. No, no, no. To another issue, which is, Minimums, you know, you have to keep your food vendors happy and they're not going to keep coming back. And consistency is really important, you know. I mean, people have varying opinions on whether or not, like, oh, we should switch up the food trucks or keep the same one or two food trucks coming all the time. Either way, you want to keep your vendors happy. Yeah, I deal with a couple places that don't want to do guarantees and it's rough. I mean, one of the places I really like and I'm going to continue to go there because we do pretty well there. But the fact that they don't give me a guarantee when we have a rainy day or five rainy days in a row where their attendance is low for a month, like it kind of hurts me and makes me want to just pull out. Yeah. Cause like, I think time is more valuable than anything as I'm progressing into this industry. I've only been cooking professionally for like seven years, but I think about all the time I just wasted like on really nothing on no benefit to my end. Like I know you're have a lot of time. We all got kids in this room and like that could be time spent, you know, just hearing a child laugh is worth more to me now that I have a baby than like any amount of exposure, air quotes again. <laughs> yeah, like and, whatever. And you have to try a lot of it out. I mean, I've tried a lot. I mean, I'm at the point where I've been doing my personal chef thing 
you know, I started 10 years ago on the side and I've had tons of times where I went and did a cooking class at the library because I thought that would be worth it. But how many of those are you going to do when it doesn't convert into business that you're like, okay, I don't do that anymore. You, I think you just have to be able to move fast, try a ton of stuff, but be able to analyze that quickly and say that works. I'm going to do that. That doesn't work. I'm not doing that. Yeah. I just want to say that I, I factor in, uh, I factor in missed tiles last into my pricing. There is a mon- there is a monetary value on Miss Child's Lab. If you didn't hear that, I'll let him say it again. There is a monetary value to Miss Child's laughter. Yeah, so if any of you out there are like I know most of the listeners are going to be chefs anyway, so you probably understand where I'm coming from. But anybody who's thinking about booking me for a service, if you think that it's too expensive, you really need to reconsider and put it some thought into how much actually goes into that price. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to go away from my family. I have to prep days before. I have to bring all my stuff out. I'm cooking pizza for you on site. I'm not just dropping off food. On site. As, as I say to my customers, like, how much do you make a day? Like, let's put let's put that into context, right? Like, you're a lawyer or whatever. Like, if you come home and said to your wife, I made $25 today, like, does that work? You know, when I do a, when I do a, when I do a private chef dinner, you know, I have people, I, I cook for as little as two and I make that choice. But, you know, my minimum is $100 a head and people, you know, $30 a head. Let's even say, let's even say 75. Okay, I'm going to get real. For anyone, I don't want to be super disrespectful. $100 a head is not worth it financially for me to do that. If we start out that it's $200 before my food cost. And let's say my food cost is, if I'm really good, like $40. I'm starting at $160. Dinner for two. Dinner for two. Yeah. But then I got to go to like... A bunch of stores. I gotta like figure out all my prep. I got time to like pack my car. You might live in Alexandria. I drive an hour and a half to get there. I'm there four hours to do the dinner. Turn around, come home. I gotta wash dishes. Like that's a tough nut to crack to say like that. You know, I do that because I enjoy doing dinners for two, and it's some lead gen there. But um, you know, people who are looking for dinner for two at like fifty dollars a head, man, that's just not gonna work. Unless it was like your name, even then, like being like. I mean, yeah, even then, I get it. Even then, like doing a dinner for my family is like <laughs> tough. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> that's why they eat leftovers. All right, we're going to jump right to hell into our final section. It's like a rapid fire round. We try to try to do like one word answers. Okay, cool. All right. Favorite tool in the kitchen? Uh, Vitamix. Ooh. Favorite food to eat? Uh, pizza. <laughs> if you had the money... Who's the first person you would hire? And it's different because you're not you're not like a food entrepreneur. But if you had the money Absolutely. in your kitchen and you called the shots, I the- would I would hire my boy Tom Kemp. Shouts to Kemp, the Kemp family. Uh, I, I met him and worked with him on the Eastern Shore uh, for a long time. I haven't never cooked with anybody like him. Uh, super mild mannered, super knowledgeable, super open ideas. Best bread pudding I ever had. Tom Kemp, gang gang. Oh yeah, I like that answer. It's okay that you that you used a lot of words too. Because I'll stop from now. No, 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 no. I, c- I couldn't see that answer without a lot of words. <laughs> That's why I said. So it's good. <laughs> All right. Who's your favorite chef? Uh, Sean Brock. Okay. Is is your cooking art or science? Yes. That's a good enough answer for me. Thank you. Favorite digital tool or resource f- for your work? Digital tool as far as website, um, app, platform. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Probably uh, I'm going to be lame and say Instagram. Does that count? I don't yeah. think that counts. 
I think that was my answer. Or Andrew's answer. I'm scrolling through like my feed and just like, like hashtag yum or like something like hash. I don't even know, but it's like looking. Yeah, you know. I need to prepare better probably for this part of the podcast. That's okay because um, you still asking the same questions I did last week, and I'm realizing that not all of them apply. And last week we got the same answers for some of them because my next question is, what's the best marketing platform? But you don't really do marketing, so what's your favorite social media platform? Uh, probably Instagram. See, same answer. Yes. So I gotta switch my questions up. That's all right, but it's all good. I like Instagram too. All right, what's your favorite culinary resource? Magazine, mm-hmm. website, probably. Podcast. I don't want to say Instagram again. Um, what Instagram page? Damn. I'm trying to get into sourdough. So there's a. I think it's. I'm gonna have to look it up. I don't think I can look it up. But just like googling sourdough recipes. Oh, uh, King Arthur. King Arthur's. Uh, oh yeah, they got a lot of good recipes. They have a lot of recipes for like. Bread, and then like below that, so many types of bread. They actually, they actually have a uh, microwave lemon curd recipe that I use. Like Ooh. it's, you just like put all the shit in a bowl and microwave it, and it's a quick hack. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Check out the sourdough library on Instagram too. It's sourdough. I will. It's cool. There's like he has like a ton of like ancient historic sourdoughs and like picture examples of what they look yeah, like. Yeah, it's like they're so time variable anyway yeah. yeah yeah how do you decompress stand-up comedy nice yeah right. not doing it listening do it. To it. <laughs> yeah, yeah and yeah. comedy comedy podcasts in general this past weekend by theo vaughn makes me laugh and makes me happy and really brings me down to earth uh about every monday and every thursday yeah you gotta laugh i think it's a huge part people people are like i gotta decompress i go for hikes but that doesn't make me laugh mm. and man, laughing makes you feel really good it's probably a better way to decompress than going on a fucking hike. You can laugh on a hike, though. You can. I usually laugh at Basil you when she li- falls when we're on a hike. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite way to decompress. Like, more Watching my child fall down. Yeah, no, I'd be like, it's Sarah okay, doesn't walk quite yet, All right, but I'm sure you it's gotta get back up. Basil, when we fall down, we get back up. Mm-hmm. You're good. You can probably listen to podcasts okay. and hike at the same time, so. I don't, I don't like to listen to stuff when I'm hiking because I want to be... You want to get... I want to. I want washed. that quietness. I want to be in my own head. Like I want to. You know what I mean? That's it's almost like a meditation. Like I'm you're not right. trying to listen to it. It's kind of like because I do that every all oh, the rest of the day. You it's know? like negating what you're there for. I get it. Yeah. All right. Last question. Why don't you quit? Why don't you just quit? Why not? Why don't I, you? Quit? I love it. I love it. That's like the that's the that's the right answer. It is. Thank you. I figure most people would say that. Yeah. So I don't. You know, I don't know anything else. I don't know anything else. Maybe I need to just ask that, that, that question. No, it's too. not. Everybody's going to answer it the same. They won't. Yeah, I'm waiting for someone to say, uh, actually, I'm going to. Uh, <laughs> thanks for putting me on blast. So i got to go tell my boss tomorrow. <laughs> That's the right answer. Final thoughts. Yeah, final thoughts. Uh, I'm happy to be here. Um, I was uh, fortunate enough to be the first guest on here. Um, and I really like what's going on. I love the idea of it. I love the idea of trying to change the culture of uh, the Frederick restaurant scene. I was talking to Andy a little bit before saying how um, it reminds me a lot what um, uh, a lot of Southern hip hop artists did for the culture, particularly in Atlanta. Uh, A lot of hip hop was like me against you. I'm better than you. This, that, and the third fighting all for the same thing, but they kind of came together as family basically 
Um, and now Atlanta is like the unstoppable hip hop city. Atlanta is on the top of everything now. Every the whole culture is based on what Atlanta does. For real. And um, I think that that correlates to what's going on here as far as we're not trying to step on anybody's toes on the way to the top. We're trying to pick people up on the way to, on the there's, way to the top. There's enough love to go around. Exactly. There's enough business and, like, to go and it around. It didn't used to be like that, but now that it's, it is like that, I think this is a huge step in the right direction. I think the Frederick food scene would be foolish to continue what they're doing. And we try to take over the world and make this a global thing. <clears throat> yeah, shout out restaurants global. Thomas, tell, tell, tell the listeners where they can follow you or how they can find you. Uh, they can find me <laughs> on Instagram uh, at Tom Stradamus. Um, spell it how it sounds. Hump. Like Nostradamus. Tom Stradamus. All right, I think that's it. You got any final thoughts, Chris? Uh, no, just um, I'm trying to think of what, for us, I would say have a great Thanksgiving, but this is going to air after that. So uh, hope you all had a good Black Friday, a good Thanksgiving. And uh, yeah, maybe Cyber Monday. Cyber Monday. Thank you for listening. Yeah, love you. Support your local food businesses in this holiday season. Small um, business Saturday. Don't forget. We're gonna drop maybe a gift guide soon, but like, uh, go buy gift cards from your favorite food truck. Hire a personal chef. Uh, yada yada yada. Peace. Turn it off. Thanks for listening to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show or sponsoring a show, please let us know. We can be reached at chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com. Thanks so much.